You are listening to a Music Secrets Exposed podcast documentary series in association with Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation. Episode 3, Manifestation in the Ballet of Wales, Making the Music for the Whale Film, Acquiring a European Grand Piano, and Getting a New Recording Studio. What happened after playing with the whales out at sea? What happened next? Oh, that was the most wonderful thing. <clears throat> I had the opportunity of uh, going to Los Angeles in September of that year. Uh, the, uh, the producer went back after, uh, uh, I guess, January, February of 1976, and he returned to Los Angeles where he lived in the valley. Uh, he told me that he'd sent for me uh, to go make the music for the film. And he waited a few months. Finally, in September, I came to Los Angeles, up into the valley, high up near Calabasas. Uh, that's the north part of San Fernando Valley on the way to Ventura. Uh, so we're still in Southern California, inland a bit. A beautiful home, and he's got a cottage, and he puts me up in the cottage. Uh, and, you know, the house is all filled with everything that you want to eat, all that sort of thing. Then he set up the living room as a recording studio, and we rented a piano. It was a Mason and Hamlin, maybe a seven-foot piano. Uh, and then we got recording equipment uh, and uh, rented all that and got good microphones. Uh, and so we recorded that piano, recorded on it. Uh, and I... Uh, was watching and taking a look at the films that were made uh, when the uh, whales, when I was playing for the whales. I hadn't seen the, that footage yet. And so for the first time, I was looking at that footage. And oh my gosh, that was like unbelievable what the divers were saying when they came up to change their film and said, this is amazing. They're doing somersaults underwater. So well, you actually saw them on the film doing the somersaults, like doing yes, somersaults like this. Yeah. And then exactly. doing and jumping up. Did you see him jumping up doing the spy no, they hop? They don't jump up. They just come up for air and they go. You back saw down. him coming up from air, but the spy hopping, did you see that? Did they catch any spy hopping like zoom? Up? They didn't get that on film, no. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. They get, the spy hopping happened before the recording happened. Right, okay. Uh, they were just investigating us, make sure. They sent up their detectives. Yeah. Hey, are you guys cool? Yeah, we're cool. Okay, fine. So, uh, okay, so now here I was watching these films. And I could not just believe how beautiful it was because coming up for air and going down doing somersaults ultimately turned into what appeared to be a graceful ballet of going up, hitting the air and coming down gracefully. 
And did they and synchronize? They, like, no, 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 they were not synchronized. Uh, not in any real way. Okay. Not like the Rockettes, for example, okay. Radio City. Mm -hmm. uh, no, they were uh, just doing their thing about three wells. Uh, and they were just going up and coming back down. And I was so moved by seeing what actually happened that it inspired me to make some beautiful music for the film. Because the music I made that day on the boat was not recorded on a horrible piano. Uh, I needed a real piano to make good music. So we recorded a lot of piano music uh, for the producer. Uh, and it was all a great experience. We, we got a lot of work done. But then the producer realized, so did I, that we needed some kind of instrumentation. We can't use only piano for the film. Yes, piano for the sessions where we recorded for the whales, but there's other parts of the film too. Uh, the making of it, how it came to be, uh, interviews with like John Lilly and people like that. So uh, there was a, a lot of other events taking place. So we investigated and we found that in uh, Santa Monica, at that time, 1976, there was a, an electronic music studio called Tonto. It was run by an English gentleman named Malcolm, but I don't remember his last name. Uh, and so this was like, the most advanced electronic music studio, certainly in, in America and probably in the world, this is Hollywood. Uh, and so this is where you go for special effects. You go, they didn't really have the kind of keyboards we have today, this is early. This yeah. is before all the advanced work that we have. So, it, but what Malcolm did with it was so amazing. He, he had multiple keyboards, he had, things that I could just stand up. I could just stand up like this and move my body around like this. And as it did, there were pressure sensitive places that would just get the sound. And he'd be able to, I could manipulate sound just by the movement of my body and make music that way. Really? It wasn't the kind of music I make, but make sounds yeah. that were harmonious. And I could lift my arms up, go up and go down like that move like that and get rhythm like this. It was really amazing. I mean, whoever got to do that. Exactly, uh, so, yeah. Uh, so so I'm just thinking, that's 1976. And I mean, electronic keyboards of that type were very new, I'd say. It was a new kind of development in the whole music world at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so cutting edge. You had the, I think it was the ARP, um, a very early instrument that had a keyboard, but it all sounded like sounded like pops and whistles uh, yeah. and just noise and, and boom, boom. There's no musical aspect to it. But Malcolm took those instruments and made it quasi-musical. It wasn't like musical to the degree we have today. But nevertheless, we could get away from the noise and the pops and the whistles and get sound and get harmony. We did it right. And there were keyboards, all kinds of keyboards around. Some were just for drums, some were for this and that. And so I just played the ones that really had an electronic feel that I could make my music on it. And he would record it. Uh, and so whatever I played, he would record. 
and then we go through and decide what we liked, what we didn't like, and then present those to John. Well, because John was there at the studio when we recorded. So you were in a in a locality where there was like such cutting edge equipment, like a studio, such cutting edge equipment. It was for the time. You had your hands on it at that time. Yeah. Oh, Amazing. I'm so lucky. You you must have been in your element altogether. I was. I mean, yeah. you, it was, I mean I'm younger and everything, so yeah, yeah. I was really happy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, gosh, I'm, you know, in my 30s still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a very happy boy. I'm sure. Just <laughs> yeah, in your zone, in your zone. It, it was. It was an extraordinary experience to yeah. work at Tonto. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what he named the place, Tonto. Uh, and then working with John, you know, there, we had a lot of things to work out technically and, and also artistically. And so you know, we had a give and take and he wanted this and I wanted that. We would work out and we would resolve those issues. But, you know, like with any producer, we got it done. We got the music done. It took quite a while, I'd say, um, got there in September. And it wasn't until December that we were completed. So it was a couple of months, maybe 10 weeks, I think. And I got paid for the work I did. Uh, and then uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was all good. Um, however, there is a part of the story that is, is not so happy. Okay. And that is the film uh -huh. never saw the light of day. Oh, oh no. And why was that? Well, well, when everything was finished, there was editing to do to put the film together. The music was made. Uh, we knew what music would go with what footage of the whales uh, and all those sort of things. But there was a problem and that was he could not afford to get a really good editor in oh, or was okay. willing to put up the money for yeah. a professional editor. Yeah. Uh, and I think he probably decided to do it himself with somebody to help him. Okay. But he said, look, I'll do the editing and I'll send you the film when it's all finished. Okay. Well, I went, got back to California, I'm back to Hawaii and everything. And film never came. Spoke to him. He said, well, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It never came. Um, much later on, I found out, I mean, this is now in 2010, 12, in, the, in those years, way after this, I ran into an English gentleman who was working on the film with us. Uh, his name was also John, uh, and he, he was a really nice, well-educated man. And what he did is he, he went out and he would get uh, all kinds of metal from uh, machinery that was no longer in use, big pieces of metal. He put them up on large strings and ropes and made bells out of them. So, you know, if you, if you got like one part out of a motor of a truck yeah, and you put it up there and then you clanged it, it would really sound beautiful. And they had a whole bunch of those things in the studio. We wow. walk around and make bell sounds. We did that for the film, actually, we made some of those bell sounds. Did you? And they were, yeah. were they all tuned differently, the bells? Each they, had a different they tuning? Were each tuned to their own thing, whatever yeah, yeah, they yeah. were. But so yeah. he organized the tunings of them and, and the placement of them. He had maybe 80 or 90 of these things. 
Wow. Uh, uh, and they were all just machinery. Uh, but machinery made of metal yeah, will yeah. sound if you clang it. You, there's nothing yeah, else yeah. around it. That's true. So that's why yeah. they were held on strings or ropes. They were heavy, some of them very heavy. I love uh, so the creativity. He, I just love the creativity of these guys. Well, he, he was British and he invented this idea. Although yeah. people were doing bells, but not with machinery. Mm -hmm. So it was, you walked in there, you were just totally amazed at yeah. what he had in, in his studio. Just out of the box thinking. Out it of the was. box thinking big time, yeah. It was, and you go in there and he gives you two metal uh, batons to hold. Yeah. And then he starts to record. He turns on the recorder. And, you know, because I was so sensitive to sound, I would go in and I'd lightly clang this bell. Might have been automotive engine, you know. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Part of an air, jet airplane, you know, or the guts of some machinery. Machine or a truck or something. Yeah, I know. And they're all big things and huge. I can't even oh describe what they were. Uh, but they made the most beautiful sound. And did he but, have them all decorated and painted and kind of embellished? No, no they were just no. in their natural form. Very plain, very, a, a large room, white room, uh, no embellishments at all. It was all about sound. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, uh, you just walk through it and you move your body, you make a tone here and a tone here. You like it and you move around and find another tone you go back to the other one oh that's you, amazing out of it you could make a beautiful kind of sound of music his name was john gibbon john don gibbon Gib don gibbons or don i think it was john gibbons okay uh and i think he's passed on now okay very nice man anyway i ran into him in los angeles 2010 so many years later uh, and he was involved also with Bells in Los Angeles then. Uh, and he uh, told, when I asked him, what happened to the film? He said, Paul, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but the producer never was able to complete that film. And all that, all that film wound up on the cutting room floor. Oh, no. Room that he had. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I never saw the light of day. Okay. I thought it did because a couple of people have told me that they saw an early PBS programs. Yeah. That they saw a man playing for, for humpback whales off the coast of Hawaii. Uh, and I said, oh, that's my film. But I, I never saw it. Many years later, then we went back to PBS just a few years ago, and we queried them and asked them to look through their archives to see if there's anything in the early days of PBS, if there was anything. And they couldn't find any film about whales at sea. So the people must have seen something by somebody else on a different station. Okay. But it wouldn't be the same thing. You know, okay. What I did. But even though that happened, I'm still thinking that experience must have deeply affected you going from this amazing encounter when you were doing yoga in Hawaii to playing for the whales. Even though you went through that, that experience of editing the film, then you're going to a cutting edge studio. That must have all added so much value to what you were going to do next. Yeah, uh, it was true uh, that. Uh, but however, 
there were there was one thing that happened while I was watching these pictures of the whales as I played for them. Okay. And at night, I'd go back and roll those films and see them for myself after everyone went to bed. <gasps> I had to. I had to see them. Addictive. Totally you addictive. Know, yeah. I secretly went in there. And oh, I, I, can, I can just see long. it. Yeah, I you can know? see it. Yeah. yeah. And I would just watch it and connect it with the whales, uh, not just on a professional level like I was doing earlier in the day to make music, but this was to look at them as a human would look at a whale and yeah. study and learn from it and see what, I mean, it was doing something in relationship to what I was doing, making piano music. And so I watched their response to the music. I could study how, 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 and whatever they were hearing, they were responding, they were moving to it. Yes. Uh, and that connection made me realize, you know, I'm also a poet. Uh, okay. Poetry is my first love, actually. Really? Poetry uh, is your first well, love? Music, music came first. I started studying piano when I was six years old. Uh, okay. But poetry then... came when I was 16. Okay. And uh, it it was so great that I just had to love and I wrote poetry. In any case, we'll talk about that another day. Okay. But nevertheless, when I was looking at these pictures of the whales at night, 2 a.m., no one's around. <laughs> like, I can just see this. I could see, I can just see it back in 1976. And I can see the fashion of 1976. And then a light on in a window in the studio and somebody's burning the midnight oil there, watching these yeah, whales. <laughs> oh yeah, I can see that. And so I, I, I said, to, I said, one day I am going to write yeah. a whole book of poetry about the whales. Really? Okay. And I knew it then and there. That's where that's where I got the instant early inspiration. I had no idea when I made music for the whales. That was plenty. I never thought any poetry would come from it. But yeah. when I watched the films intimately, up close, personally, uh, there. I was able to actually see things that I never saw before. It's amazing. Just subtle movements and things yeah, that yeah. I wasn't looking for. And I realized, oh yeah, there's going to be poetry about these whales. I know a whole book of them. That's going a to whole come. book of poetry about whales. That's what I decided I'm going to do. This was 76. Uh, and I, uh, I got the impetus for it. Well, I could take that story to its end, but that would take us to another day. So I'd rather keep on track with, with, with the, the whales, uh, the making the music for the whales. All right. So, in in during this time, now there's a second part to this story too. There's the after story after what happened when I played for the whales. So here I'm speaking about now, where I'm in Los Angeles. And I made this music for the film. I, it's going to be edited. I know it, I know it's going to be edited. He put so much money into this thing. It has to be edited. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it never happened. Okay, that was a real bitter disappointment. Yeah, I can Even imagine. I can't find those yeah. things. However, uh, 
there were two other great things that happened. One was the inspiration for the book, which ultimately did come out. And that's oh, a separate yeah. story. It's a separate okay. segment. Oh, okay. Uh, then there is another story that comes there. So it's a three-part story, playing for the whales, going to make the music for the whale movie. And then let me tell you the third story. Saturdays off. I had one day a week off, maybe two. Um, I had to buy a car. I, I bought a van, Ford van. Uh, and I would drive to the piano stores all around Los Angeles that carried the finest imported. Yeah, piano. I'm just preempting you there. I'm sure those piano stores had golden pianos there, being LA. <laughs> Diamond, titanium, titanium. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you know this is Los Angeles. And yeah, exactly. The center of the movie industry. People, mm -hmm. yeah, pianos, but movie stars and others who, who can afford it. These pianos are, are all imported from Europe, but each one was like if there was a. Um, okay. The Steinway piano, which is the most popular piano, uh, maybe Yamaha has exceeded it now, but Steinway was at the time. There's two Steinways, the Steinway made in New York and the Steinway made in Hamburg, Germany. Okay. The European version is different, somewhat different. They both have the same designs, mm -hmm. both the same company, mm -hmm. but the European version by, by far is generally considered the, the finer instrument. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, I presume but, it's, is it to do with tone mainly? Like a more- Yes, the way they build tone? it. Uh, the Europeans, you know, they invented the piano and the, all the Germans, you know, how perfectionist they yes. are mm -hmm. making things. Yeah. And, and they put all their top level energy into making that piano. Well, Steinway in New York was a very good piano. It was played throughout the United States, parts of the world. But the Steinway in New York had absolute control whether or not the European version could be imported into the US. And they made sure that it was not. But you couldn't find them here. Uh, there was no place that carried the European version. Okay, so, so I had just to a, a very not, tightly organized company, if you will, like very tightly right, run as to their want policies. To sell American made pianos in America, and they don't want the, the European version they knew was the superior instrument, they didn't want it selling out selling because yeah. the money went to Europe. Yeah, okay, so um, I, I wouldn't buy Steinway for anything in those days, now I would because they make some very good ones. Uh, but I went to the um. Uh, Busendorfer store. I played the Busendorfer, which was gorgeous. And there was a store that carried the Blutner, B L U T H N E R, with the umlaut over the U. 
Bluetner. Mm, maybe piano. I've heard that one. I can't see. I yeah. have now off. The Bluetner is a, a very great piano. It's made in East Germany. Okay. And it was in East Germany at that time. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it uh, is considered to be one of the greatest pianos in the world because it developed a thing called the aliquot scale. And the aliquot scale is on the, on the middle range and the higher range notes. You always see the three strings on the piano. Mm -hmm. They put a fourth string on top uh, of oh. those. And that fourth string was to resonate bring greater resonance. So Beautiful. when you play a Bluetner, the tone it's is rich. magical. It's richer, stronger. It's rich, yeah. I played the Bluetner, I liked it a lot. And one day I walked into a place in West LA on Melrose. I walked into the store and there I see a gorgeous piano, a German piano, right there in the, in the show place. Uh, and so I asked the owner if I could play it, sure. Uh, so I, I played this piano. It was the most beautiful piano I'd ever played in my life. What size was it? It was a seven foot four. That's wow. the ideal size for recording. Okay. You, know, you can record on the nine foot, but the nine foot is really made to play against an orchestra. Yeah. That's why yeah. they invented it. Okay. The stronger strings. But the seven foot four is the perfect balance between treble and bass. We use the Hollywood studios for the most part. Um, all right. So I walked into the store and there's a piano. It's called a Grotrian. G-R-O-T-R-I-A-N. Right. They still make them. They're made in Braunschweig in Germany. Okay. Well, the Grotrian, that piano had, had trebles that sounded just like bells. You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm so influenced by WC, as you know. Yes, yes, uh, yes. I really wanted to have those sounds. You know, if I want to play and then play a bass note, yeah. have those beautiful trebles, just bell-like. Uh, not tingy, then, not, not like a tinny sound, very no. just beautiful resonance. Each one has its tone, right, all the way to the top, if it's tuned correctly. And the mid-range was like silk this okay. is beautiful as you can imagine they're just so smooth i was enchanted by it and it had a beautiful rich bass i mean i'm dying to know i'm dying to know how much was it how much was the 27.5 us dollars what would that be today in today's uh, in euros in euros or, Oh, today in dollars would be about $125,000. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's going to happen next? What happens next is I keep on, on Saturdays, I come and play that piano. And every Saturday. Every Saturday. And I'm playing and really playing my music. And it's the most beautiful sounding music ever coming from me yeah, because yeah. You know, here I'm playing it. I'm not recording it in the middle of the day. I don't have a recorder with me, uh, so uh, I just play. And the owner, he becomes friendly with me, and we talk, and we have coffee together, and he, you know, he, uh, yeah, come play, play all you want. And it's, it'll attract customers, you know, and yeah, people in the yeah. store will listen. Good, and it did, it worked. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and the, sorry, Paul, but how big was this store? Like, give a sense of size. Like, how many pianos was in this store as a whole, in terms of size? At least three thousand square feet. I guess a thousand square meters or so. Right. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, it was big. And yeah. uh, in the back, he had a lot of grand pianos. Right on the side, he had all these uprights, different kinds, yeah. different makers. And and when you were playing every Saturday, did people return to the store if they saw you playing, or did children come in and go, "Wow"? I can't say that's true. I wish it were. <laughs> But the store is just on a street, you know. And yeah, an ordinary only street. Only so much foot traffic. People drive okay. in LA to some place. They don't walk okay. so much. Okay. Okay. But it did attract some people in occasionally, okay. and maybe a parent with a child. But it was yeah. no crowd. Oh, <laughs> there, right. Okay. There were never crowds. It was just yeah. me and that piano and a few people occasionally. Or if someone's in the store, they're looking at just piano, browsing around, and yeah, play, and they come sit down. Uh, even the owner came sat, sat down and listened to me. And I was really good in those days. I, I was at the top of my form. I was playing so well. And every Saturday I went back there and that $27,500 was far beyond my reach. There's no I way imagine. that I could play such a, uh, buy such a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it could happen. So uh, I, wanted this piano so bad I, and i would go back again to my my teachings with hanaviri that we had yes in our first yes hanaviri yeah and hanaviri who taught me the the the, the way the, the the laws of manifestation how you have to you have to think it you have to imagine that you have to know for sure that it's right for you and right for everyone else. You know, all that's, those things. That's, you've just said something there, right for everyone else. I've never heard that being said before about manifestation. If you're going to manifest from a spiritual point of view. Yeah, of course. Before. I mean, it makes total sense, but it's just I've never heard that being said before. I think people miss out on that point. Well, that, that's, that's the most important point. Like playing piano, I can play for myself, but really it's for others to hear. Yeah, others to very listen interesting. To. And then now, yes. All right. So uh, I come back every Saturday and I didn't really do the classical method that, that Hanaburi taught me to manifest. I manifested through the depths of my heart. I need this piano. Not that I want the piano, but I need to have a piano like this, this one to record on. To perfect your art. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I didn't make any plans because $27,500 was beyond my reach. I didn't know wealthy people in Los Angeles, except the producer of the film, and I couldn't go to him for this thing. Yes. Uh, uh, so uh, I didn't know wealthy. I knew people, but not wealthy ones. So yeah, uh, I couldn't call up some movie star. Will you buy me this piano? Uh, those things didn't happen. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the dream? Wouldn't yeah. that be it? <laughs> right. So, but however, okay. So the story, as the story gets very good, uh, I had a friend who lived on Maui. His name was Gandhi, just like Gandhi of, of, of Gandhi. Uh, oh, that's Gandhi. funny. 
Gandhi, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was named that because he was the secretary at one time to a very great Swami, Swami Satchidananda. And Swami Satchidananda came to the West a long time ago, and he really brought yoga to the West and, and, and yoga type thinking. Uh, that's what he did. And so it was really, really beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm on, yes. And so uh, he came to hear me on that piano. He said, Paul, we got to get this piano for you. Well, how are we going to do it? I have an idea, he says. Okay. I have an idea. Okay. And then he says to me uh, that he has a friend that I met him once in Maui. The man lives on Maui, but he owns a department store, a private department store in West Los Angeles. In those days, uh, what it was was a beautiful store. I hadn't seen it yet, but he went around to corporations, people working in large groups, and 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 got them uh, got the corporations to pay so much money for each person to be able to have a ticket to get in uh, and uh, with that it was a very beautiful uh, thing that he had accomplished and he was quite wealthy as a result mm -hmm. well that man's name was stan okay okay well gandhi and stan were good friends and so Gandhi said to me, Stan is in Los Angeles right now at his department store. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm going to talk to him and see whether or not he'd be willing to come and hear you play. Because he might very well be the, the one to help you. He certainly can't afford it. Yeah. Being a multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. So Gandhi organized that day. And he said, all right, Stan's coming in. Stan will be here. Uh, we'll, let's set up uh, Saturday uh, next week or two, two weeks from now. So then I went to the uh, owner of the store and I said, uh, my friend is bringing someone who might be able to help me purchase the piano. I don't know. But however, he's going to come. He's going to hear me play. He has the means to do it, but I'm not asking him to help me. I'm just going to let it come from his own heart. So please just understand the dynamics of what's going on and so that you, you understand it. His name was Bernie. I remember that, the owner of the store. All right. So, so I, you know, so the day came, the Saturday came, Stan comes. And I remember meeting him in Maui once. He shake hands. Good to see you again. And he sits down. Gandhi sits down. The owner sits down and maybe somebody else and I start to play. I start to play and I'm playing and I'm playing and I'm playing and I'm just playing my heart out on that piano, you know? And yeah. it's like, I'm not just giving it everything. To stand to buy it for me. Uh, what I'm doing is playing my music at the greatest level of heartfelt feelings that I can muster, that I can create at that moment. Hear a gorgeous piano and how it's played well. And hear the bass and hear these mid-range and all these trebles as I lay them down. You know, it was that kind of thing. I got so engrossed into the music that I didn't forget about what was going on, but it was as though I had forgotten. You know, I was 
immersed, immersed in the music. Yeah. In the zone. I finished playing after about 45 minutes. And 45 I, minutes? 45 wow. minutes straight. And, uh, I wasn't drenched with sweat, but I was drenched. Just drenched with the energy. Uh, and, you know, I guess Gandhi looks at Stan and, you know, I, I'm not supposed to know anything. I don't know anything. I don't pretend that Stan's going to buy this for me. I don't even know if he wants to. But he said, Stan said, that was really the most beautiful piano music I've ever heard. Wow. Play really beautifully. That's a yeah, gorgeous yeah. piano you play. That was very nice to hear that. So that was, all this is going on on the Saturdays while I'm making the film. Now we're in late November, December, sometime around that time when the film was ending. And so uh, Stan said, it was very nice. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'd like to think of what maybe we can do. Okay. The owner, who is very savvy guy, he just suddenly chimed in and he put his eyes on Stan. And he said, as you can see, here's the list price on the piano, 27.5. But I can make you a deal and he's looking at Stan. I'm a little embarrassed because he's not, I'm not supposed to know. Then he looks at me, thank God. Then he looks at Gandhi and uh, okay, at least he's talking to all of us because he was sad <laughs> enough to realize. I, I can imagine. Not, not going to try to manipulate a man he doesn't yeah, yeah. know. Uh, yeah. so, uh, he talks to all of us and he says, look, he says, I've got, I bought this piano for around uh, 15,000 shipped to me, air shipped to me. Uh, and I put this 27,500 list price. But I need to sell, I need to sell it at, at cost, plus a little extra for me, maybe 3,000. I'd like to sell it to you for about 17,500. Wow, that's a huge discount. And, and he told us why. He said that Los Angeles at that time uh, had a, a law where any merchandise that was unsold, that there was a tax on that unsold merchandise. Okay. And he had a lot of pianos in stock and a lot of tax to pay. And this selling this piano would give him the money he needs to take care of all those payments. So, okay, that was a real deal. And, you know, Stan's not the middle and very nice. And we all part. Well, maybe we go to lunch. I forgot what happens, but uh, I think we went to lunch. But there was no discussion of the piano, just the music. Great, good. All right. So, two days later, while I was at work, uh, the music uh, on the film, I get a call from Stan. He says, we have lunch with uh, call, phone call. A call from Stan. Call from Stan. Okay. Gandhi actually gave him my number. And so uh, um, he called me and he says, how would you like to have lunch with me today? In a really nice, happy voice like that. How would you like to have lunch with me? And what were you thinking? 
I have to, uh, how do I get away from here? It's, uh, I, I only have breaks on Sunday, Saturday. All right, you're still in the, in the studio, of course, right. doing the so film. I, yeah, yeah. I go to uh, John, uh, the producer, and I said, look, I have, I have an appointment I have to go to. This just came up. I need to go to this appointment. It's really important. I'll be back in about three hours. Okay, I go. Stan and I have lunch. We're having a nice lunch. And then Stan, you know, saying how beautiful the music was and all that. And then he says to me, why don't we go down, right, as soon as we finish lunch, and go to the piano store and buy that piano? And he bought the well, piano. No, 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 hang on. What was your reaction when he said it? What was your reaction? Dumbfounded. Manifestation. Manifest. I think of, ha think of your training now from Hannah Veery, and now you're experiencing this and you're going. This man I'm manifest. This is manifestation. This is my wildest dreams uh, uh, fulfilled. That's amazing, Paul. The wildest dreams. I, I, I lusted for that instrument. I mean, not in a greedy way. No, 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 no. But no, you but knew that you needed it for your art form to really be the way you needed it to be. Right. I knew I could make my greatest music on that yeah. piano. And, and I, I'm just thinking, I'm just seeing like this man and Paul and he says, let's go and buy the piano and... <laughs> I, uh, I, I I suspected that's why he had me the lunch. I yeah. suspected that this yeah. is going to be, uh, the outcome is going to be Because really normally, good. normally people in that level of business, they don't waste their time. Do you know what I mean? They're very cued into how they're using their time on a day-to-day -day basis so if they ring you up for lunch it's for good reason as well very true very true yeah uh uh he's a nice guy uh, yeah and so a spiritual person very spiritual he was a buddhist he meditated oh, every day okay he, so he, he saw your heart he was uh, he was awake oh yeah like he, yeah do you know what i mean he, oh, he, he saw was. who you were he, he, he saw the music for what it was he was a conscious person you look in his eyes and you know, you that look at makes oh, yeah. total uh, sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yes. So we That's went to amazing. the store, and we both walk in, and Bernie opens up with a big smile before any words. His his bill is sorted <laughs> out. His tax bill is sorted out. <laughs> and and Stan just blurts out, "Well, we've come back to buy the piano." Of course, oh Bernie God. knew that the moment we walked in. <laughs> and so. Uh, and then Bertie had said that he will, the, at that price, he would also pay for crating and shipping the piano back to Maui. To Hawaii? Yes. Wow. So okay. Five. Even, uh, he even saw that, like, he even had it in his vision to, to, you know, he knew where you were in L.A., what your situation was to get the piano from L.A. to Hawaii was utterly important. Yes, he, uh, yes, it was. He, um... Um, That's amazing, Paul. I think back to this moment, 
while telling the story, I'm living it again. <laughs> Like it really is happening now because you were coaching. You must have been so like, you must have been so in awe, but yet so excited, dumbfounded, kind of a whole host of emotions like going, yes. wow, am I living my dream? Is this it? Yes. Okay, but it wasn't great. It wasn't yeah, yeah. the highest level of experience of working with someone who was really spiritually aware to make a film like that. Uh, you know, and so that was not happening at work for the yeah. film, but that was happening here this moment. Yeah, yeah. But you, but you knew, you knew instinctively that the film was like a, a contracted um, effort, so that was going to expire. And there was going to be a moving on point. Yes, yes, of course. I was finished making the music for the film, doing all the parts I had to do. Uh, and now I was just about done. And this is all happening simultaneously to that. Uh, so I'm just about done. So what uh, happened next? <laughs> what happened next is that Stan buys the piano, pays him, uh, and uh, uh, Bernie says he has to make calls to uh, get the person to crave it and then arrange for a shipment back to Hawaii. And everything is shipped to Hawaii on Matson lines. I think even still today, Matson, uh, Matson is a shipping company and they ship things back and forth. Most of the goods coming into Hawaii come from Matson. Or they might come from Japan, like like uh, cars. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so uh, so a few days later, I get a call from Bernie. He says, "Okay, we can arrange this move on such and such date. Uh, we're gonna get the uh, piano created. We'll be back in Maui on January 12th or something like that." Just about the time I was returning to Maui. I was going to return in January. I'm going to spend New Year's in LA uh, and go back after that. So, okay, so the relationship with John and I came to an end. He paid me for the rest of my work, uh, but I had already acquired the piano, or the piano had already happened. And so I was so happy. I mean, there was just no way that I could hold back my joy uh, with everything we were doing. And John saw a big change in my heart and uh, uh, he, not that he responded but at least he he, he recognized saw it. it you know and yeah. he knew something good was happening i didn't tell him what happened mm -hmm. okay what happened it looks like something happened good what's happening with you no everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> you know these things you just have, you can't share. You, you know they're, they're so they're not things to be boastful about or to speak about. I, right. They're very personal things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, then ultimately uh, the piano got created, and I got to see it when it was created. 
And it's put in so beautifully. I mean, like, just like a hand into a glove. I mean, when they put it in there, you know, they take part of the, they, they put some wood into the action of the piano so that the hammers won't move around during. Yeah, training. so it's all aligned in Everything transit. stays put. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. piano should arrive in the same tune, relative same tune, as it was when it left. That's an amazing uh, story. So, um, okay, so I, after New Year's, I go back to Maui. And oh, yeah, oh no, there's another part to the story. Oh, Lord. Another Stan, part? Yes, Stan invited me to go to his, uh, 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 to his uh, department store, the private one. So okay. we go in there and we walk around. And he shows me all these expensive, beautiful things. It's really nice what he has there. Beautiful. And how big was his department store? Just give a sense of, of size and, and positioning. It was a small department store compared to like, uh, you know, the big Macy's, things like that. Okay. It wasn't that size. It was one fourth the size of a big department store. But big enough to, you know, sell linens and sheets and beds. And these were all quality items? Were they specifically chosen? Yeah, so specifically That's chosen for his customer. Quality items at a very good price because he could discount heavily uh, okay. because he knew he had customers coming in. That was the whole point. You know, if he had customers that were guaranteed to come because come the corporations get, then he then they came. Okay, yes. so he brought me downstairs to the lower floor, and there was all the recording equipment possible. He had a full on sales. Things to buy recording equipment from the home. Recording equipment. Recording equipment. Wow. I needed recording equipment. I have a piano, but I've got to record. Well, it was all right there and stand on the store. <laughs> and so he says, okay, let's see what you tell me what you want. We'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. First I see I see these gigantic speakers, you know, that are that are uh large studio monitors, you know, the really good kind. I like that though. Oh, they're about three grand together. Okay, fine, we'll put down all this. Uh, and then I saw the Studer uh, tape recorders. Studer is a Swiss company. Yes, and I know. At the time, yeah. they made the leading tape recorders in the world. Okay. Uh, I mean, Yes, there were Ampex big ones that were done in recording studios. These were all about that size or so. Uh, and uh, they were big. And the thing about them is they recorded at 15 inches per second instead of seven and a half, which was the only thing. The 15 was already semi-professional, professional enough. And also it recorded what's called half track, meaning you can only record one way on, on big 10 inch tape and buy the tape separately. Uh, and uh, you, uh, uh, it, it was a really good tape recorder. It, was, it would record the piano really well, which it ultimately did. He had two of them. I said, well, I need one to record and one to edit with. You want both? I said, yeah. I explained why. Okay, let's get the other one. What so else? you were getting your dream studio and a piano. Yes, and all the other things that went with it.
all the other things. And just to remind people, this is like going from the end of 1976 into 1977. It's still the end of 76. Still the end of 76. Yeah, it's around, you know, Christmas time. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Santa Claus. It was going going to be in Hawaii in early 1977, just, you know, a timing thing. Yeah, okay. Correct. Correct. This is amazing. everything and the microphones really good austrian and german microphones it sounded like that he knew what he was doing in terms of quality when it came to that kind of thing like it was quite obvious that the best of that equipment was made in europe at that time you know when you think of swiss german etc yeah he knew he knew what he was doing Oh, Switzerland, Austria, Germany. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and uh, then I saw a cassette player where I could make professional cassettes. Yeah. That cassette player was very expensive. And mm-hmm. it had push buttons on it. In those days, push buttons were just beginning yeah. to come in. Push the button. <laughs> like that. He says, well, why don't you get this one instead? Anyway, okay, fine. <laughs> the whole thing came out to about $25,000 or so of equipment that we got. $25,000 worth of studio equipment. Yeah. I wonder if you were to value that now in in today's equipment. Uh, 100. Well, 100, you know, 100 plus. it's different because with reel-to-reel recordings today, it's yeah. digital. So uh, I don't know. If, I can't really make a valuation, but it would be a hundred grand easily. Oh, I would, I would imagine it would. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm talking about a home studio. If you want a really yeah, yeah. multi-track recording studio, you'll pay a few million. Uh, yeah. So uh, at least that's what I had. So he he got that all packed up and got it ready to ship to me. I had a whole department to do it. It was amazing, amazing manifestation because I had not only How did piano, you feel? No, but how did you feel? Just relive know. the moment. How did you know. feel? You must have been so excited. I was walking on clouds. I mean, <laughs> it was the happiest moments. I mean, here, look, you take a look at this. I do the film, but I play for the whales. Yeah. Okay. And now you've got but, a piano, and now you've got a studio. But that's, and like, the, this that's is all... the gift they gave me. You see, the whales gave me the gift that wasn't making the music for the film, which yeah. ultimately never showed. But it was the experience of playing for the whales. So it was the whales, I felt, in some way, were spiritually involved. I know that sounds ridiculous, and who knows if whales are spiritual. But I felt that my experience with the whales uh, gave that impetus that whatever happens on the levels behind the scenes, you know, in the deepest levels of the mind, when you, when you look at life, I've heard it been quoted that what we see, just what we see is about 3% of what is out there. Uh, right, but we can expand our thinking to see about 6%. <laughs> I didn't know that one. I didn't know that one. But all I'm making a point of is that there's a lot we don't know, the connections between things. No, there's a lot. There's a lot we don't know. So, like, I wouldn't critique that at all about how does... 
your experience with the whales come into this whole situation and then of course in the backdrop of all of this you have your spiritual beautiful soul Hannah Veary in the backdrop of all I'm, it's amazing it's just boggling my mind it's amazing it's, it's a gift of a lifetime the gift the dream gift and that came to me from God as the only way I could say I think so the only way I could say but I just want to refer back to a point you made you said you know there's a lot of talk in these days about manifestation and what that means and how people attempt to manifest and it's all a, I've listened to quite a lot of stuff and you get this intention that it's about okay I want to manifest something uh let's use tools to help me manifest but you said a key point which i think i've never heard anyone else say that you have to think of how it will be for others when you manifest as well that is a key point that i never hear and you, your thing then about you get the piano everybody loves the music and it all just evolves and the whole situation oh well, wow give me the, the opportunity to magnify my music and bring it to people of the world uh, and magnify it by recording it and then putting out you know those days cassettes now of course it's all downloads uh, there were there were cds and they're not used too much uh, so there's a way to get it out to the people of the world and when i play and now especially when i play I'm, I'm not playing just for myself. You're playing I'm imagining for that these sounds, even in the most subtle ways, are, are actually going on sound waves, even far beyond just the last resonance of a note or a bunch of notes. And they are, they go out and they travel out everywhere around the world. That's the most beautiful, too. beautiful thing I've ever heard from a, 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 a performer. That's beautiful, beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. That makes me really happy to hear that. That's the way I feel. Because yeah. when you're playing, it's God playing through me. I'm sorry, I have to say it. God is playing through me, even though I'm playing and I'm making the music. When I'm in tune and I'm there, I know that the Spirit is with me. That is beautiful. That is so beautiful. And it's now, Paul, like you're telling me this story now, but your music is needed now in the world we live in. Yes, you're right. That that when you play 
when you're playing into the hearts of others and you're reaching to them. That's what I do here at night when I play. I'm reaching out at night to the world because everything is quiet. You know, all yeah. the chit chatter is, is it's just gone. it's all canned. The news, mm -hmm. news is all quiet down. Yeah. The televisions are off. But now I can play and feel that. Uh, and so that's what I planned to do when I went back to Maui, because I was even more aware then than I am today about how I felt about it, discovering that how you can project yourself all over the universe. I mean, it's possible but to at least imagine that some way some subtle sound could be heard by an advanced civilization high up in the stars, they'd eventually pick up the sound. You know, it might be centuries later, but it still got picked up. Yeah, yeah. So you never know. Anyway, the, <laughs> so the, the piano, all the recording equipment arrived in Maui. <laughs> it arrived in Maui. And oh boy, did I have fun setting it all up. <laughs> it was you like, must have. So with the, with the piano, just to back up a little bit. So the piano was sent out from L.A. and all the studio equipment. <laughs> And then you head out to Maui and the piano arrives at your house. Like who unpacks the crate? Is this your task or does somebody come from the piano store to do it? Or how does that work itself out? No, the piano store uh, hires the best movers they can find in Maui. Okay. Uh, and those movers bring the piano in. And there were a few steps up to my house and you don't carry pianos up steps. Uh, so they, they had these, uh, uh, not ladders, but, but uh, runners, they called them runners, uh, and ramps. And yeah. they took these ramps and they just wheeled it straight up, just like that, Woo, came right up into the house like that. And then they started to uncrate. And as I saw the piano in the crate being uncrated, it became real. This thing became real. It was, it was not the act of actually purchasing them and getting them here. It was now here. This this is reality. Here. Like this is really happening. This is happening. I'm setting up my first recording studio professionally. Oh my God. You know, it was like, it was like that. I was just a kid in a candy store. Static, yeah. Uh, beside, beside myself. And I was doing oh, yoga ecstatic. every day. <laughs> I was doing <laughs> yoga every single day. In gratitude. In gratitude. Uh, Yes, but also just in health and in wellness and yeah, but yes, Making yourself good. Yeah, I can stand on my head and look at the piano. <laughs> I love standing on my head. That was my favorite pose. Uh, have you photo? Pose. Have you photographs of the of this uh, piano and the studio and so on? Yeah, there are photographs of the grocery, and I'll have to find them. Yeah, that'd be uh, fun. But you'll hear them. You'll hear those recordings, and we'll talk about that later next time about okay. the recordings they did in Maui on that. But uh, that's what that's what happened. I I was in bliss. There was there was yeah. That's actually a really good word. You're in bliss.
To find out more about Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation, go to waterfallgiving.com.